Hello and welcome to the second episode of the First Exchange podcast with me, your host, Lydia Daydahl, and I am delighted to be joined in studio today by IBF world champion, Kit Galahad. Of the whole world, not a little bit of it. <laughs> champion of the whole world, not a little bit. <laughs> I did see this on your Instagram this morning. How are you feeling? I'm good, thank you. It's good. been just over a week. Yeah. How does it feel to be world champion? Not a different... Oh, well, I was going to ask, is it as you had imagined it would... <sighs> It would um, like. Not really, because being a world champion was just one of the goals, it, you know, for me. It wasn't just like, it was just a goal I set, mm-hmm. but there was, there's more goals and I finished the rest of them. So I don't know, I, I don't feel, I don't feel no different. How do, for yourself in your mind, what way does, do goals work out? Like, do you set them yearly? Is it more of a kind of a, a general, these are the goals I want to achieve, or are you a little bit more strict on no, achieving I have, them? To be fair with you, I've always had, like, my goal was always to be, like, a freeweight world champion unified mm-hmm. in three divisions. That's what my, oh, that's what, I, and, I, and I have always believed, believed it. You know, I even believed I should have been a world champion at Subbantam way mm-hmm. if I got the opportunity when I was a bit younger. But, you know, I had grown that way. And um, I believe I'll be, a, you know, a super champion you know, that super feather and lightweight. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just, it just depends. You have little goals in terms of like, I remember when I first turned professional, I thought, yeah, let me just get a British title. Then yeah. that'll get me to the next, le- that'll, be, that'll get me to the next one. So when I got the British title, I could have won outright, but I didn't, I wasn't really bothered because that was just the stepping stone for me. Mm-hmm. So then I won that and I thought, yeah, let me get the European. Then got the European. Then you get to the, you know, a, a final eliminator. Then when you get to the final eliminator, then you get to your world title. You get to your world title, then, yeah, okay, let's try and make unification. If we can't make unification, we'll try and beat as wh- whoever we can and then move up to the next one, if you know what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. When you look back on the journey, you know, with things that went to plan, yeah, things that didn't go to plan, yeah. do you think that it all happened for a reason? You know, do you believe that everything happens for a reason? The good uh, and bad? It's just how it goes, isn't it? It's part of life and... It's just how it is, isn't it? It's just, you can't really put your finger on it. It's just, you know, things happen in everyone's lives, you know, good and bad. Mm-hmm. It's how you deal with the situation. Mm-hmm. You know, when you have something good happen, you can't get carried away. And when something bad happens, you can't let it get to you. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Life's like a roller coaster. You've got to just try and keep on a, you know, level playing field at all mm-hmm. time. You know, you might have a little, uh, but you don't really want to be going up and down all the time. You are a very level person, though. Yeah. You know, you seem very calm and relaxed and yeah. chilled, focused, obviously. Yeah. Um, do you think that is you or is this what Broxton has created? Um, a bit of both, you know. It's like I've always been, for me, I'm not academic, academically, you know, um, smart in terms mm-hmm. of like book smart, you know, reading things. But I'm good at figuring things out or reading people. And seeing certain th- situations, that's what I was always good at. You know, mm-hmm. I could, I could, I could be in a in a room with someone and figure out the situation straight away. Or I could read someone's body language and know it straight away. Mm-hmm. Do you know, but I couldn't sit down and write, you know, an essay or something like that. I, I couldn't do nothing like that. So you're very intuitive. Yeah, I don't know what that means. But well, you intuitive to how people are feeling or like reading the room. Yeah, or just yeah. just things. Just I was always good with hands-on things as well. And um, just things like that, really. Can we talk about when you started? When I started boxing? I started boxing, yeah. Well, before I started boxing, 
I was always in and out of trouble. Mm. Always, you know, I was always looking for a hustle or, you know, up to no good or f- trying to figure things out. Always trying to make a buck or just, just, you know, just always on a hustle. How old are you at this stage? This I come to Sheffield. I was always, I've always been coming to Sheffield since the age of maybe like seven. Okay. No, even younger, because my grandparents have... My mum's actually from Sheffield. Right, OK. She's from Upper Vault, Sheffield. My mum was born here. And um, from the age of, like, it might be, like, four or five years old when I come from Qatar. I lived in Liverpool, but mm-hmm. my nine grandparents come as well with me. No way. And they lived in Sheffield. And we've always... So, basically, Liverpool, where we lived... We lived in Toxteth, it was a really bad area, mm. really rough. And few people got killed, few people got shot. And then we couldn't actually play outside no more. Wow. So and this is at seven? Yeah, this was like six, seven, yeah. So we were in Toxteth, this was like when it was... This was basically someone got killed and it was that was it. It was basically like the Wild West in Liverpool. So even when we played out, we couldn't leave the door. You know, the doorstep. Yeah. Literally, we couldn't... We had to kick the ball. If we went down the road, we couldn't even leave to get the ball. Do you know what I mean? And uh, my mum just used to send us to Sheffield. So she used to send us to Sheffield mm-hmm. to, uh, like, just in the summer holidays or, you know, Christmas holidays. You know, just the big breaks. We used to come up here all the time. So we always had friends. And um, obviously, being from Liverpool and being kids are a bit more... A bit more, it's different down there because you're a bit more sharper than mm-hmm. you are in Sheffield, especially back then. And when we come here, we were like very sharp, like we knew all the tricks on the streets, you know, like just little things. We knew how to nick things and do this and do that. We knew every single trick. And when we come here, we were like advanced. So when we come here, we actually we were like 10, 11, me and my brother, but we stand around with like 15, 16 year olds because we were advanced. We, we could hang around with kids mm-hmm. our age. We had to hang on with kids a bit older. And um, we were just always in, in always in trouble and stuff. Then my mum and dad split up. Then obviously we had the decision to pick. So we picked to live with my mum. Mm-hmm. We moved up here. And um, that's it really. Then we were just always in and out of trouble even more. God, that, how, how old are you when your mum and dad split up? Uh, probably like 10. So that, that's heavy anyway for any age as a child and then to have to make a decision like that yeah to a certain degree you know i come from a big family you know when i was living in liverpool they were like i've got seven brothers and sisters and then my dad had to look after his sister's kids because mm-hmm. they were widows so they sent their kids from yemen to live with us and then my mum had to look after her, uh, her sister's kids so they were like in the house we were in a three-bedroomed house and there was like seven kids and then my cousin, and then my other two cousins. So there, really, there was like seven, eight, nine. There were like 11, 12 people in the house. We used to sleep on the floor. You I know, know what I mean? There was that many of us, and we had bunk beds. So we had to share, some of them had to share the bunk beds, and the rest had to sleep on the floor. Do you know what I mean? Because my dad had a shop, and we used to all kind of like do little shifts in the shop, yeah. stocking up and stuff like that. But that's how it was in them days, you know. We didn't really have much. My dad didn't really have much. You know, he had a lot of... Um, he had a lot of people he had to look after. He didn't just have to look after us. Mm. He had to look after his mum and dad back in Yemen, you know. And he had to look after his sisters because mm-hmm. they were widows, you know, three sisters. And then he had to look after their kids. Then he had to look after 
you know, my nan and granddad, my mum's mum, my mum's mum and dad. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So there was like, literally, they were looking after probably like I don't know, seventeen or eighteen people. It's a lot of pressure. Yeah, a lot of pressure you know? on someone. Because the shop that we had, we actually, my dad was actually making really good money. Mm. But if he had two kids, we would have been all right. We would have, we would have amazing life. Mm -hmm. But there was that many of us that they couldn't. If you know what I'm saying to you. So with that, you know, when you look back then on you as a person and your characters that you have, yeah. do you think that that whole time period has shaped you? Yeah, 100%. Because, you know, even all my brothers and sisters were all grafters mm. because from a young age, when we were like four or five years, mum was like, oh yeah, you've got to go and stock up the fridge. Yeah, you go and do like, I was stocking up the fridge from the age like five years old, right. you know, or doing something. We all had a job in the house. Mm. We didn't all, there wasn't like playing around or anything like, and even when we were playing around, you know, it wasn't for very long. Mm -hmm. We all had a job in the house, you know, and even the shop, because the shop was actually, so our living room door, you'd go into the shop. Right, okay. So we had a camera. So when someone walked in, you just the, bell, yeah, the, the bell would go <laughs> off and then we'd go in. Do you know what I mean? And that was it really. Mum and dad are both grafters, you know. They've always, uh, they've always had like, my mum's always had like three or four jobs. My dad's yeah. always been, when he had the shop, he's opened the shop at like seven in the morning till 11 at night. Mm. Every day, 365 days a year, non-stop. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? You know, when you say that you used to get into a bit of trouble, yeah. you know, back in the day, I'm interested to know or understand how does a young child get, you know, swayed into that way of life when it seems like at home, just by what you're saying about your parents and their work ethic, that, you know, they're good people and they've good yeah. morals and stance set. So, because we're now in a time where there's so many kids that are kind of losing focus, losing yeah. their way, going down wrong paths. And, you know, there's a question from society that are asking, you know, what can we do to yeah. help change that? I don't really know because kids are different now. When I was a kid, it was just different in terms of like, I lived in Toxteth. So mm. the only person who had money or who had anything were the gangsters. Yeah. So they used to have the flashy cars and yeah, my dad had a good job. He owned his own shop and everything mm -hmm. and he was doing really well. But you're still thinking you don't want to end up like this. Do you know what I'm saying? Because we didn't really have nothing. Mm -hmm. But it's only until you get older you realise that he did have something. But because he had so many people to look after, he didn't have nothing, if you mm -hmm. know what I'm saying. He had, to, he had so many outgoings. He, he didn't really have much. And it's just different because when you look at, like, all these people in my area when I was in Toxic, or even up before in Sheffield, the people who had money were, like, the drug dealers, the gangsters. Mm -hmm. I didn't see... I didn't know one who was a doctor or a dentist or a nurse or anything. I never met anyone in my... Anyone, even when I went, the only time I met anyone like that was when I was in, in the boxing gym yeah. at the age of 12. 13. Before that, I didn't know no one who was a doctor or a dentist or anything like that. No one at all. Do you know what I mean? All The only people I knew were the gangsters and drug dealers. Mm -hmm. And they, you end up, because you see these things, what they've got, you think, yeah. And I go, I want to be like, I want to have this. Yeah. I want to have that. And that's the thing, you know. Um, it's just the environment, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Which is... You know, that I think that's, it, it's sad that, yeah. you know, it's because it, children are so impressionable, you know, and that there is an opportunity to help them or, or to stop them going down that path yeah. if it is about yeah. who's in their area. Yeah, but you, you think the diff, what it is, 
my dad thought he did well mm. because he's gone from Yemen, which the slums of Yemen, having literally nothing, no electricity, no gas, living in a shitty little hut, yeah. to go into England. Yeah, it might be in a crap area or whatever yeah. it was, toxic, toxic. But he has actually swam the channel. And I think you don't... Yeah. That's a bit like living in a council estate in Sheffield, then going over to a, you know, living in, I don't know, in a massive house in yeah. Door in Sheffield. That's mm-hmm. how big this step was from Yemen to, to talk stuff. That's a, that's a massive step. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And I, I just don't know. And they, and probably they don't realise the environment and everything else yeah. because of, they just don't, do they come from a different time and era and everything mm-hmm. else. They don't, you don't, I think they don't realise. Absolutely. Can you remember a moment when you, you know, when you went into Ingle Gym and yeah. you met everyone there? Yeah. And That's what happened. I went to the mosque on a Friday. Yeah. And I walked in and I seen that. Well, before that, I actually used to go to a boxing gym in town. And um, in town, me and my friend Trish, we used to just go there because we were skinny kids. We started getting into a bit of trouble down, you know, like just on the streets and that, but yeah. we'll get a bit muscular because we were both skinny. <laughs> we were like skin and bone. So we thought we'd go to this gym because this guy, at that age, you can't really go to a gym. Yeah. At that time, they wouldn't let you go to a weights gym and stuff. They wouldn't let you do weights. So we went there because this guy let us train in the gym. And he goes, there was like a boxer in there and we used to just mess about me and Trish, just messing about flinging a bit of few weights around this was only for about two weeks then i seen naz at the local mosque one day i said naz i says i'm doing a bit of boxing in this gym i said i want to be a champion like you what have i got to do he goes me look there's a guy called uh, brendan ingle he owns a gym called st thomas's boxing club he goes you need to go there and find brendan he goes he'll make you into a champion so i went home to him i said mom we need to go and find this gym it's somewhere in winkerbank that's what all I knew. Went driving around looking for it. Eventually, we found it. Walked to the gym, and that's when I knew I was gonna. That's why I knew my life, what my calling life was. Really? Yeah. Straight away when I walked into that gym. What was the feeling? It's just weird because you just know that's what you want to do. Mm. And I remember walking in and looked down the ring, and I remember <laughs> seeing Johnny Nelson, uh, Junior Witter, Ryan Rhodes, Kel Brook. Um, there were loads of people, Mia Khan, there were loads of them all in the ring. I remember looking up, because the ring's a bit lifted in our gym. Yeah. I remember looking up and thinking, they're all massive. I want to be like them. Do you know what I mean? And that was it. And then I spoke to Brendan. He says to me, come here tomorrow morning. Make sure you're here at 6.45. So I got up in the morning. Because the tram from the um, Upper Thorpe to Sheffield, Upper Thorpe to Meadowall, because that's mm. where I had to go, then walk across from Meadowall was about 45 minutes so I thought I'd best get up early so I got up at 5.45 got there for about got to the tram stop at 6 got to to Winkerbank for about outside the gym I was outside the gym for about it might be like 22 waiting for Brendan waiting for Brendan waiting for Brendan didn't turn up then 20 minutes later he turns up at 7 o'clock opens the gym and they come in and show me footwork he goes oh just do this footwork here I'm going to go to Meadow I'm going to come back so he, he just showed me what to do and I practiced it and he went and then I'm looking at the clock 8 o'clock went by 9 o'clock went by 10 o'clock he wasn't there so he's come back and I just seen someone pop the head through the window uh, through the door like that and he looked at me and then he closed back up and then he went again then I would just continue doing my footwork doing my footwork then about 12 o'clock come in he goes out oh, here give me a sandwich he goes yeah we're going to go across the church now and do a bit of cleaning 
So we did a bit of cleaning. He was talking to you, telling you certain, certain things. And then at three o'clock, we went back over to the gym. He goes, yeah, just do this now with your feet. Show me some more footwork. Practice, practice. Went home at six o'clock. For about two weeks, all he had me doing was my footwork, nothing else. No, didn't throw a punch or nothing. He's testing you. Um, yeah, to a certain degree. I think he was testing me, but the thing was as well, he probably was just teaching me the fundamentals of boxing. Mm. You know, where most trainers now, they don't teach you about footwork or anything like that. Yeah. It's only the really old, old school trainers. No one, no, no. I don't really know a fire what's got tremendous footwork apart from Usyk and mm. um, Loma. Other than that, who else has got, who else has got fantastic footwork? No one. Mm-hmm. No one really does footwork no more. Everybody wants to do the pads and they think pads are going to become, pad, they think pads are going to make them into you know, uh, world-class fighters, and it's not. Mm-hmm. Pads is, it doesn't mean nothing. In that, in those two weeks, what are you thinking? Are you thinking, like, when am I going to spar? <laughs> no, I just, <laughs> just I... he just told me what to do, and that was it. I didn't really think nothing. I just mm-hmm. thought, well, if I want to be a champion, this is what I've got to do, mm-hmm. and that was it. I didn't ever think anything like that. I just thought, well, he, he knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. He's made all these champions. So it must be it must, whatever he's saying to you to yeah. do is right, and that was it. And I just kept on doing it. Whatever he told me to do, I just did. I didn't ever think, oh, you know, there's more to. I didn't ever think. Like, I just thought it's Brendan mm-hmm. because Brendan was an honest person. You, you, when you met him, you knew straight away what he's yeah. like. Absolutely. Can we go back to when you were in the mosque with Naz? Yeah. <laughs> like as a child, like you know, Naz is there. Mm. You know, obviously you're at the mosque, but do, do you at that stage? recognize the how huge he is and and what he's achieved not really because the thing was when we were kids we used to watch the naz fights yeah and uh because before that we didn't watch no boxing in our house all we watched was wrestling yeah my nan wwf yeah my nan it was wwe at the time right even the old ones like i mean like really old like the british bulldog (laughs) and all them because my nan granddad they actually thought it was real (laughs) <laughs> You're joking yeah, they me, really? And they used to have like they, they used to have cassettes. Remember the you know like little cassettes? Used yeah, to yeah. The VHS, and they used to just watch, yeah. put them on. Hulk no Hogan, they used to love Hulk Hogan, and they used to put them in. The Ultimate Warrior. Yeah, Ultimate Warrior, all <laughs> them, and they were massive, massive wrestling fans. Men yeah. and that. No way. But they thought it would be for years and years. They, I think even to the past way, they never knew. Really? Yeah, they never knew. They just thought it was real. Yeah. And uh, they used to have the tapes, and oh, just put this tape on for me today. And we sit there and watch old, old wrestling. That's what we used to do. And um, when, obviously, when Naz used to box, we used to watch Naz box as well. And, um, yeah, but the thing was, you knew he was big, but we didn't really, you don't really know. You don't yeah. really know. If you're not really involved in boxing, you don't really know what someone's achieved or how big the achievement is yeah. or anything like that. We don't really know. And, uh, and I don't know, when you just met Naz, we just met him. I didn't think anything of it. Yeah. If you know what I mean. Yeah, of course. So back to Brendan yeah. and the Ingle Gym, the Ingle Way. You know, the legacy of the Ingle Gym is, especially being Irish, yeah. you know, especially with boxing in Ireland, he is so revered and held in such high yeah. esteem. Um, you, you say that you felt that like he was an honest person when yeah. you went in there. What was it about him? Because we, we hear about, you know, the looking after people, making food, going yeah. to the church, sweeping the streets, different things, helping the community. You know, everything that you want a boxing coach in the community to be, it seems like he, he ticked all the boxes. No, no, 100%. And I think with Brendan, 
Brendan was the only thing I sometimes think Brendan was too nice, but mm. probably that's why he's so loved in Sheffield mm. because a lot of people who 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 were in the gym or did things, a lot of them, I don't know. Sometimes I felt like people could pull wool over Brendan's eyes, yeah. you know, like oh yeah, Brendan, I'm doing this and I'm doing that, but really there wasn't. And Brendan didn't. Brendan didn't. If he if he, Brendan was like one of them. If he said something to him, he just he'd think you weren't lying. If you yeah. know what I mean, and. Um, he was just like, he just knew Brendan, I don't know, it's hard to explain. You just knew straight away, you just knew his character. Mm. He wouldn't, he was just one of them people. Like, Dominic and John Ingle, they're a bit different to Brendan, mm -hmm. where in terms of like, Brendan spent a lot of time, I think what they resent is well, like, sometimes is, Brendan wasted a lot of time on a lot of people that he didn't have to. Yeah. Because some of them people that he spent time with didn't do nothing, and some of them actually end up being worse or whatever. He did, he had a lot of success. I have a million people, probably, you know, 200, 200 of them did something positive in their lives, and eight hundred of them actually didn't do nothing. Mm. And you know, I think they sometimes they resent is that they were his kids, and he spent more time with them. Yes. And the thing is, them people, the eight hundred, he wasted a lot of time, and I mean. Even sometimes when I think about it, when I was in the gym, there was that many people that come and go through the gym mm -hmm. and he spent the time. And at the end of the day, you always can make money back, but one thing you can't get back is time. Absolutely. And I think they didn't, they learned from that and they can, they're a bit different to Brendan and thingy. Like, it's just hard to explain. They're just different to, to Brendan in terms of like, they won't waste no time. Mm -hmm. You know, if they, if they get a sniff of something, They'll, that's it, do you know what I mean? Or if, if they tell you to do something, you're not ready to do it, they'll just leave you. Mm. Where Brendan was a bit different, like, it's just... Brendan was like... He'd give you a chance and chance and chance. Where sometimes, you know, Dominic... They'll give you, like, two or three... Dom, Brendan would give you a chance for every day. Yeah. But Dominic and John probably give you, like, two or three chances and then they're kind of like, well, I'm wasting my time here. What's mm -hmm. the point? Where the the truth is, they're probably best off doing that because Brendan wasted so much time yeah. with people, and they don't they don't want to do that. They don't want to make the same mistake. And I think it's you know the industry as well, and and that what you say about the, almost the revolving door of people yeah. coming in because not everyone is going to be a world champion. Yeah, no, and no, not everyone is going to be able to you know stick to be disciplined to to stick yeah. to what they need to do. Um, and that's one thing that I always you know think about especially working in media and speaking to so many coaches and fighters is that me as a person, you know, I don't think that I would be able to do that role because of that investing in someone and yeah. there is no, you know, guarantee that they'll be here in a year's time that they won't yeah. go somewhere else. And for you, you know, being with the same team, same gym for all this time, does that mean something more to you that you're one of those people that, you know, has stayed loyal or has stayed true to... Yeah, the, the, the thing is with me was in boxing, then the day, if I get up and go to the gym and do my footwork or do whatever I've got to do, mm. I, don't, I shouldn't need someone to get up and tell, I shouldn't need Dominic or Brendan or anyone to tell me, get up and do it. I should do it myself. Mm. Do you know? And then they, when I'm doing, when I'm practicing or shadow boxing, they can't do that for me. They mm. can't get in the tread, or get on the treadmill and run for me yeah you all have to do it so to a certain extent it's actually you've got to do it yourself mm -hmm. but most of these kids now they want they think that someone's gonna come and like 
wave of one round and all of a sudden they can be world champions or you know yeah, yeah i don't really want to do this you know run um yeah can we change it for something else and it's just different kids are just different and do you know what it is as well what's sad not everyone's going to be a world champion like you said mm. and with dom and john they're a bit like look they'll sit down like look you're not going to be because we've had kids we had it one time i remember an indian kid coming to the gym he was like 24 years old he walked into the gym and it was his mum and dad sent him from India to go to some university down in London he was a really clever kid had loads of money and he was becoming a doctor or something he must have watched some DVD or something about some boxing and he wanted to be a boxer he come into the gym and he's like yeah yeah um, I want to be a boxer Dom goes oh how old are you he's like oh yeah um, I'm 24 years old I've done this I've done that he goes oh how many fights have you had he goes uh, um I had no fights. He goes, oh, how long have you been training for? He goes, oh, a week or two. He goes, but I'm going to be a world champion. And then Brendan Dominic just says, well, just go on the lines and do your footwork for a couple of days. He just looks at that and he goes, look, he goes, I'm not being funny. You're not going to do nothing. He goes, mm. you can train here for a week and, let, and just see what, what you're going to, you know, do. He goes, yeah, he packed up his work. He packed up his university, moved to Sheffield and they were going to get a job in Costa and box and train. And then Dominic goes, look, you're a clever kid. You've got all these results and whatever it is. Mm-hmm. He goes, you, you're you never going to be a world champion. He goes, that's the harsh truth. I'm going to tell you now. You're never going to be a world champion. No matter what you do, you're never going to be a world champion. He goes, you're 24 years old. You've never boxed a day in your life. He goes, you need to go back to university and get your degree, being a doctor, whatever it is. Do you know what I mean? But then the kid was arguing like, yeah, I'm going to be a world champion. And he was arguing for about 20. And I just thought, but the thing is, You'd rather have someone tell you the harsh truth like that. Yes. Then drag you along for mm-hmm. 10, 15 years. You've wait, then you've just wasted absolutely 10, 15 years of your life. Yeah. But that, I think some people don't really like that about Dominic sometimes. You know what I mean? Yeah, that he just tells it like it is. Yeah, he just tells how it is. Yeah. But, you know... And but, while that is needed yeah. and it's appreciated, you know, it, it, yeah. probably at the time you might not appreciate it, but down the line you definitely will. Yeah. But some people have actually said, yeah, but how do you know he's not going to do it? Well, if anyone's qualified to tell you you're going to be a world champion or not, it's him. Yeah, but, yeah, but yeah. You, you, you could be a world champion. Yeah. This guy's done it. Oh, you know, Carl Flodge turned pro when he was 27. This yeah. guy did it. Yeah, but you're not thinking about the bigger picture. Yeah. Carl Flodge was, you know, he had a good amateur pedigree and everything else. And you just think some people are just off their heads. You know? But do you not, playing the devil's advocate, yeah. do you not see that, you know... Um, you know, because there's, there's all these books out there and all different things that will tell you, you know, and someone says you can't do it, you know, just believe in yourself and, you know, but obviously boxing is different because... Boxing is different to like... There's a blueprint, right? Yeah, no, but boxing is completely different. You know, like, there's the guy who owns um, Amazon. And he, um, Steve Jobs? Is I, I it? One of them. Steve Jobs? No, he's not Steve, no, it's not Steve Jobs. Oh, Je- Jeff, uh, Jeff Bezos. Yeah. Thank you, Daniel. There's, there's him, whoever it is. And I think someone, there's like a post on Instagram, basically, like, oh, when he was 35, he had nothing, and then now he's, he's 50. Yes, yeah. yeah. But the thing is, you know, boxing's a young man's sport, mm-hmm. and... You're not going to be able to. You're not going to be able to turn professional at 35 years old, and you know at 50 be a world champion. Mm-hmm. How you just can't. But yeah. some people actually think you know yeah, you might be able to do it in a non-physical um, business or something. Like, yeah, you can do. But in boxing, it's, it's just different. You can't mm-hmm. do things like. That. And people think yeah, but you can. But you can't. That's that's you know when Bernard Hopkins was world champion at 50, he's been boxing since he was a baby. Yeah. 
you know, and George Foreman is different, but some people, I don't know, I think boxing just attracts sometimes. You've got to have a screw loose in your head to be a boxer. But it does Brad, attract... Brad, you said it. Yeah, but <laughs> it, it attracts a lot of um, crazy people as well. Can we talk about that for a minute? Yeah. So the screw loose with the boxing, with the yeah. fighters, what, you are one. So yeah. what do you think it is? Because... There's two things, right? Someone had sat down and said to me before about, um, you know, fighters and different things and the process they go through, like the, the mental side. And they had said, you know, well, all boxers are, you know, there's, there's, they're not all there because they want to fight for a career. Well, they want to do that. To be fair with you, it depends on what level you're at. You cannot not have a screw loose mm-hmm. and be a boxer. You might get to English level, British level. But really, I believe to be at the top level, you yeah. have to have a screw loose. Yes. Do you know what I mean? So on that, right, there's also a quote about Michael Jordan. I yeah. think it was around when the documentary had come out and stuff um, yeah. and Dennis Rodman and stuff. Yeah. And it's it's actually a Paul Czech quote um, yeah. who's a kind of a mind, body, spirit guru, we'd say. But he said even to look at a professional elite athlete, to look at them at that level, yeah. what it takes to get there from the physical side, the mental side, yeah. the, you know, being the disciplined, all those yeah. different things. They and the competitive side to want to be that competitive to have to be the best when you break that down like what is that inside them that's leading them to be like that uh, I think that that actually is anything anyone who's successful in anything in life yeah. that's what you've got to be like what do you think Jeff the guy who owns Amazon do you think he's not competitive no of course he's competitive of because of look look where he's he's got billions mm. and he's still there trying to get more Mm-hmm. And he's still trying to keep on top of everything else. I don't know. I think when you when you want to be successful at whatever you do, you've got to be obsessed with it. 100%. But the thing is, there's levels and there's like people say they are. Oh, you know, I'm I'm I want it this bad and everything, but really yeah. they don't want it. Yes. But that's just I've believed that's ninety five percent of boxers anyway. Yeah. They're all most more pretenders. Do you think? Yeah, one hundred percent. That high, ninety five percent. Yeah, ninety five. I would say are pretenders. Mm. Yeah, because I've been a, I've been in this game a long time. I've been a lot around a lot of fighters, and some might become world champions, some might not. You know, but even some of the pretenders might end up being at a world level where are you, for so long. Where are you sussing out the pretenders? Where do you see it? <clears throat> Just in every aspect, you know, like it actually. It just depends on it, like, sometimes... It just depends because, you know, if they want it so bad, how come, you know, why can't they stick to the diet or why can't they train? Why can't they train twice a day or why can't they, you know, when it gets tough, grind through? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just little things you just see sometimes and you just think, oh, you know what, he's a bit of a... He's a, he's a bit of a pretender mm. kind of thing, you know what I mean? And they, most of them say they want it, but really they don't. Mm. Does it anger you that the the boxing is filled with people ninety five percent that's not really because that's just how it is. Look yeah. in in business in general, you know ninety five percent people go bust and whatever it is. Mm-hmm. That's just how it is. That's just how life is. If you know what I mean. Yeah. And it's just that's just how it is, isn't it? You know what I mean. It's just fighters in every sport. It's like that. It's mm-hmm. not just boxing. Do you know what I mean? It, that's what separates the, you know. The people like Cristiano Ronaldo and the other players. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? If you look at, I know Wayne Rooney's made a load of money, but if you look at him and Cristiano Ronaldo, yeah, you know you won't ever think Cristiano Ronaldo's actually older than mm. you know um, 
than Rooney. But look what he's done and look what he's... Yeah. Look at all the hype that he got and then look at what, look where he is now. Mm-hmm. Look at Cristiano Ronaldo, it's crazy. Does that tie into, you know, when people think about Kid Galahad, the fighter, you know, the one thing that's always said is discipline. Yeah. The most disciplined person that they yeah, know. I think I think it's a bit a few different things. You know, I think people can't really put a finger on it. But you know, I would say yeah, I am probably the most disciplined from mm-hmm. from who I've been around with anyway. And that's but that's just how it is. You know, at the end of the day, when we get in there, we're fine for our lives. So why wouldn't you want to, you know, make sure when you get in there, you've got every advantage you possibly you can. Exactly. You know, we're not we're not playing football or we're not playing marbles. We're getting it round head. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? When you say that, um, you know, fighting with your lives, you yeah. know, that there is that massive risk yeah. with the sport, can't be denied. Um, how does that sit with you? Knowing that every fight, that there is this potential, that there is always a risk involved yeah, in there's, it. There's always a risk in anything you do. Do you yeah. know what I mean? It's like, we'll put it this way, before, before I become a boxer, all I wanted to be was a gangster or a drug dealer. Yeah. And that risk is actually worse than, <laughs> yeah. do you know what I mean? But if yeah. you're willing to take that risk, then mm-hmm. a boxing's not really as risky, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And the thing is, I just don't know. I think it just depends in it. It's just like when you do everything, the risk, you just minimise the risk. Mm-hmm. Do you know, you know, if you're drinking or you're doing things that you shouldn't be doing, say there's a, you're getting a fight, now it's not a 50% risk. You, you you know because you've messed about yeah it's gone to a 40 percent. you know sorry the 60 percent risk but if you're on your job all the time you know then the, the risk goes down in terms of like oh you know it's a 90 percent. i make sure when i get in the ring you know the risk is like a 95 percent risk in terms mm-hmm. of coming out damaged or whatever it is and it just depends when you practice and do everything you do in the gym then it's not really a risk because you do it it's mm-hmm. every day yeah when you look at your life as a whole, you know, what way do you view, you know, I would have a very, my belief system is that we all have a purpose and that we all are here to follow our purpose, yeah. soul purpose and, you know, that everything is mapped out for us. What is your understanding of why we're here? Um, I don't really know. You know, the thing is with me, I'm just focused on what I've got to do. Like, I do believe, you know, I was only here to become a world champion and, yeah. and be one of the best fighters from England. But the thing is, I'm just so focused on what I've got to do and to get where I'm going to get. I don't really think about anything else. Mm. I don't think about, oh, this or that. I just thinking, look, I'm here now and now I need to get to this next level. I'm not thinking about what, what's happened in the past or anything else. I'm just thinking what's ahead. Do you know what I mean? I'm not thinking. I'm just thinking, look, I need to get to the next level, next level, next level. Mm. That's all I'm thinking about. I'm just tunnel vision on what's ahead. I'm not thinking anything behind me. Mm. Do you ever not worry? I don't think worry is the the um, the word, but do you think about after boxing? Um, yeah, a little bit, but not really, because look, I know boxing is not going to be forever. Yeah. And that's why I want to make sure when I do it I want to maximise on it and make sure I've done everything I wanted to do I don't want to be I've met loads of fighters who come to the gym and like they're retired now yeah. and they're like oh you know I wish you know I wish I had the train I wish I had the train like, I wish I had been on it like you or this and that yeah. and I just think yeah but 
I even told them sometimes some of them I said, Oh why I said, why what are you doing like do you know what I mean? You're fine in eight weeks, why are you not on it? Oh, you know, this and that and just making excuses mm. for themselves to yeah. do what they're gonna do. And then now they're retired, they're like, Yeah, you know, I wish I'd done that, I wish I'd done that. And I just think, you know, I just want to make sure I maximise mm-hmm. on what I've got to do. Of course, I know it's not going to last forever. Then, you know, when that finishes, yeah, you go on to your second chapter in your life. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? But until then, you know, I want to make sure I give it a thousand percent. And that's it, you know, and I'm just focused on what I've got to do and, and get to where I'm getting. Do you feel like you've sacrificed a lot to get to where you are? Yeah, but that's just how it goes, isn't it? Everyone's got to sacrifice something, haven't yeah. they? You know, no matter what you do in life, you've got to sacrifice something. You mm-hmm. can't always have a, you know, the thing is people think, oh, you know, they want to sacrifice a little bit and then get a big reward at the end. It don't work like that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You always got to sacrifice things. If you want a, a big sac, if you want a big reward at the end, you've got to sacrifice a lot. Mm-hmm. You yes. Know, and that's what I think a lot of people don't. They just, I don't know if I is the sacrifice. They think sacrificing 12 weeks Yes. For a camp is a lot. What's 12 weeks? It's nothing. Mm-hmm. But people, fighters actually think that. They think, you know, they sacrifice 12 or 8 weeks in a camp and then, yeah, they're going to get this and then, yeah, that'll get you so far. But eventually you're gonna, it's going to catch up on you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is interesting that, you know, in this sport in particular, it, you know, as an outsider, you look in and you go, okay, that's what needs to be done that sacrifice that 100% discipline yeah. and like you say so many that find it so difficult to do it yeah so with that you know the mental side for you yeah like that's obviously a huge one of your huge factors is that you have this unbreakable mindset yeah well it just depends and it? it's years and years of doing what you've got of what you're doing and it's like what I always find mad is like when I always hear fighters say, oh, yeah, yeah, I've had a fantastic camp, eight weeks, you know, I'm ready. And I just think... <laughs> You're not. <laughs> you know, the thing is, I just think, how can someone how can someone beat me if they've had a, you know, they a 12-week camp or even if they've had a, f- a five-month camp? Mm. I've been doing this for 19 years. How, they, how can, it, if it, you know, like a 12-week camp or a three-month camp beat someone like me? They can't. And that's why I think most of the fighters, that's why I think, when I get in there, I mentally break them. Yeah. Because they soon realise when they get in there, that's where, you know, they realise, you know what, I'm not going to beat this person. I'm mm-hmm. not going to beat him today. And that's why I think when I get in fights, I mostly, I think it's, I would say, I've never been in the ring and not being so mentally. Mm. I always believe I've broke mentally and then everything else comes with it, secondary, you know, then physically, then everything yeah. else. Can you Can you feel it when you're in there? You yeah. feel the moment where you can break someone's spirit. I've, I've, the thing is, you know what it is, when you do all the time, I've been in the ring with, with people, even sparring, and you just know, you just, it's just something you just know mm. when you've got someone. And that's just how it is. You know, you know, in the years in the past, we've had kids who've been in the gym and they've left the gym and they've said, oh, yeah, you know, um, oh, yeah, I didn't get trapped well at the Ingle gym and this and that and all this mm. stuff. And I just think... The reason why they think they never got trapped well is because when you're coming off second or third best, mm. but so like say you're training with me and Kel and everyone else, yeah, you might be, you're not coming first, you're coming third or fourth. Mm. And every time and then when that's happening to you all the time, 
they don't realize that the standard is so high that their standard is going to be high as well. Yeah. They get broken. So therefore they go to different gyms and they think because they're the king of their gym now. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, we got neglected at the Ingle gym. No, it's not because in the Ingle gym, it's you no one's going to give you nothing. You've got to fight your way to the top. Mm-hmm. That's why I did it. There was Johnny Nelson Jr. Where to Cal Brook, Na- um, Nassim Hamed. The list goes on. I was at the bottom of the pile. Mm-hmm. But these kids, they don't want to fight their way to the top. They think, oh, because they've won this or done that or, you know, they've done well in the amateurs. Or, yeah, we should be, you know, moved up the pedal, you know, up the ladder straight away. You don't. In that gym, no one cares what you've done as an amateur. No one cares what you've done as a pro. Even when I go to the gym now, everyone's still trying to be take the number one spot, and that's what it is. That's what you need. And that, that's yeah. what you need. That's the environment you need to be in. So it's male ego. Pardon? Do you think it's male ego? No, it's just competition. That's what it is. Mm. It's just fierce competition. Then the day this, when you're on, when you're at the top, someone else wants someone wants that spot. So now when you're at the top, you've got to train and do everything even more. Yeah. But I don't know how some some kids they just find it hard just to even get there. And it's just, I don't know. For me, I don't know because I've never, when I was at the bottom, I always wanted to be number one. So I was always trying to bam, bam, get myself. And when I got myself there, I was just keeping myself up there. Yeah. But these other kids, I think sometimes they can't get themselves even to that level. So it kind of mentally breaks them after mm-hmm. a period of time. You know, it doesn't matter because, you know, it could be a run. It could yeah. be lifting weights. It could be sparring. It could be body sparring. It could be anything. But when you're getting constantly battered or beaten, it kind of, I don't know, it might it might demoralise these people. Of course. Yeah. And, I, and imagine that's where the, you know, the mental toughness can come in is that if you can persist yeah. and go to the gym every day, twice a day and yeah. be the bottom of the pile and to be beat up and to be the one that's not doing good every day. Yeah. And to stick with it, then that shows such character, right? Yeah, it does. But that's what you got to do to get that's to it. Yeah. That's what you got to do to get to the. I don't. That's what you got to do to get to the top, in my opinion, and stay at the top for a long yeah. time. Yeah, you might get a break, and you might win this, and you might win that. But when you get to that level, and you haven't really put in that foundation, mm. you're going to come up short at some point. Mm-hmm. You know, and and you can con your way getting there and, you know, blagging it. Because there's been a lot of fighters who've, who sometimes I think they've blagged it or they've conned the way there and they're kind of like, you know, trying to root themselves to get somewhere, to get in a position without actually taking no risk. Yeah. You know, like back in the day, if you wanted to be the number one dog, you literally had to fight your way up to the top. But now there's that many governed bodies and that many different things. You kind of can sway your way around and wait around and yeah you know let me just take this route oh yeah and you know i'm not going to take this route i'm going to go this way instead Mm -hmm. to find an easy way if you know what i'm saying to to get to the top but at some point you will come up short Mm -hmm. and that's how it is so for you as someone who's been in the sport for for that long and you know like the business of boxing outside of the actual love of the sport what is the biggest you know Biggest thing that you would change in the sport? What is what is the most disheartening part of it outside of actually loving have, the sport? I, if I could, I'd have one world title. Mm-hmm. I think one world title would be better. Yeah. One or two world titles, you wouldn't have. I think now there's that many, mm-hmm. and they're so 
corrupting ways. It's not even corrupt. It's just like there's that many things now. Mm. People actually don't even know who champion is or who's what or whatever it is. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying to you? And I think if there was just two mm. and everyone had to fight each other, then that's when that's 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 when you you know back in the day when you got the Sugar Islands or Sugar Ray Robinsons yeah. or because there wasn't that many government but there wasn't that many governing bodies mm. where now there's that many everyone can just take a different route yeah do you know what I mean but then again it gives them more opportunity for the kids to come through because sometimes if you haven't got the right push then you can't actually get to the top mm-hmm. do you think about legacy me um, I just want to be the best that I want to be. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And I believe I will be one of the best to come out of England ever because I just believe I put so much in. I don't believe there's any featherweight, super featherweight or lightweight in England that could beat me without a shadow of that. And I believe I will be a throughout world champion. Yes, sir. <laughs> Sorry, I get yeah. emotional when you yeah. say that. Yeah. It's like... Because you've set your you set your goals already yeah. and you've achieved so much so far, yeah. you know, and to say that, um, like, I believe you when you say it, yeah. you know, what would you want people to say about you after yeah, this yeah. is done? If people are sad in the pub, what would you want them to say? say? I was one of the best fighters to come out of England mm. without a shadow of that. Even, even one of the best fighters to come, one of the best fighters ever. And the only way you do that is by fighting. Yeah. And getting to the top, you know, and there's there's no other way to get there than fight because I don't know, I feel like fighters think they can talk the way up there or, you know, con the way up there. But in this game, you will eventually mm-hmm. come short 100%, you know. And I don't know, I just, we'll have to wait and see. Mm. You know, Does it you, fill you with responsibility? Do you feel a responsibility to boxing to your community to the country that you have to uphold or anything more than anything i feel for myself not really Mm. it's not for for anyone else it's more to do with myself if you know what i mean because i put in the hours and i put in the time and everything else the thing is if i accomplish everything i do and then people say oh yeah they didn't like me then it doesn't matter to me Mm. you know that's it but in the history books if you've done what you've gone out to achieve and done everything else then you'll always be in that in the but in terms of like what people think, oh, it doesn't matter, does it? You know, it don't. It actually doesn't matter because people are going to love you and people are going to hate you. Yeah, it's all irrelevant. It's like when they say who's the best featherweight to come out of England. Who do you think it is? Mm. So far, who do you think is the best featherweight to come out of England? You. No, there's Nassim Hamed. <laughs> Obviously, Nas. Yeah, there's Barry McGuigan. But Nas for me would have been someone who. Like when I think back on, you know, growing up with boxing, yeah. he was bigger than life. And I've never met him. Yeah, he and was. He was like Anthony Joshua, but probably bigger. Yeah. And I can just remember that feeling of yeah. sat with my he granddad. Was a superstar. Superstar. Yeah. The ring walks. The yeah. ring walks. I remember being a child and practicing ring walks, yeah. you know, and not really understanding why I was doing it, yeah. you know. But I that always impact. Believe, I always believe Naz underachieved. Why, do, why is that? Because I always remember Brendan used to always say, Nas should have been a featherweight, super featherweight, lightweight. He should have won everything mm. from from featherweight to like middleweight. And people thought, this guy, this old man's crazy. What's he on about? But who's gone and done that? Who's gone to do the exact yeah. same? Pacquiao. Mm. And, what you know, Nas was probably better than Pacquiao. Yeah. In terms of technique and, you know, in terms of... Um, 
punching power, he probably hit harder than he hit harder than Pacquiao. Mm-hmm. In every aspect, Nas was probably better than Pacquiao, but he never fulfilled what he should have fulfilled. If you know what I mean, he should. He didn't. Do you think he would say that as well? I don't know because you don't know with Nas. You know, I even said to, when I met, when I when I spoke, I said to my, you should have won everything from this weight to that weight. Mm. He, but he's like, yeah, but I did a lot anyway. I mm. had twenty defenses, and I said, yeah, I know you did. I said, but you still should have won everything from here. I said, you you've gone down as the, one of the probably the best featherweight mm. to ever live. I said, but really, you should probably been on the list to be one of the best fighters to ever live. Mm. He should have been in there when they say Pacquiao's, when they say the, you know, the Floyd Mayweather's. Nas should have been, because I believe Nas was better than all them. Yeah. He had the more, but then again, he probably didn't have the discipline what they had. Mm. Do you know what I mean? But he should have been in that category with them. When you look at getting that, that you know, that legacy, people to look at you in that light, when you think about, you know, what, why am I different? What is it that I possess that has made me better than all these different fighters that are out there now that have gone before me and that will come after me? What do you hold? I, I just believe I'm more determined, more disciplined than him. Mm. In terms of, I don't think I'm the most talented or, you know, the most fittest or the most um, strongest. Or I think I do everything good. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'm actually exceptional at anything where Naz was like exceptional in punching power. Mm-hmm. He had exceptional um, defense. Everything with Brent Naz had was exceptional. Probably the only thing that would you would say, if anything, would probably just discipline. Mm-hmm. But I don't believe, you know, I was anywhere near as the same in terms of Naz's, you know, skill-wise and punching power. I don't think there's, there's any fighters... Do you want to tell you the person who's probably the closest was Kel Brook? Really? Yeah. If the the closest person was probably Kel Brook. I even believe Kel Brook underachieved, and I always say that to him. Really? Yeah. I said Kel should have won everything from welterweight, you know, to middleweight. Mm. How, how is that received when you tell Kel Brook, you know, you've underachieved? Yeah, I know, but I've done all right. I said, yeah, you have done all right. I said, but I, I honestly, I don't believe he should have won everything from welterweight mm. to, to, uh, well to, to middleweight. I don't know. I don't know if they believed that themselves. But yeah. when I looked, I thought you could have easily done that. Mm-hmm. There was, you know, but that's it. That's just my opinion. You know, they listen. Kel's made a load of money. Naz has made a load of money. It might be different when you made the money what they've made. But then again, you know, I don't know because I've done all right so far. But I don't know. I'm not really money. Money is it's good to have money. Yeah. But I'm not really, oh, you know, of course you want to fight. Of course, that's what we all fight. We all fight for money. But I don't believe, you know, if I had 10 million tomorrow, my mindset would change. It wouldn't. I'd still probably be doing the same thing what mm. I'm doing now. What's important to you in life? Me? Um, doing what I've got to do in terms of boxing, achieving what I want to achieve. Mm. That's my only goal in life at this moment of time. Do you under... Do you... Would you understand if somebody didn't understand that mindset? Yeah, well, you know, I think when people say... I think a civilian wouldn't understand that mindset. Yeah. yeah, but I think if someone who's, like you said, an elite athlete or someone who's like the like the guy who owns Amazon, yeah, it's different in it. They probably understand you more than most people do. Mm. But a civilian, yeah, of course it is, but that's what separates, you know, the amateurs from the pros. Do you feel under- misunderstood? 
What do you mean by that? Like, do you feel that not many people outside of maybe your coaches and your teammates understand this life? Um, yeah, but that's, it's just different. Like I said, that's, a civilian would never understand me. Yeah. But a, a, someone who's elite or a professional in terms of what they do, they probably would understand me. Mm-hmm. But I don't know how that's just, that's how it is, and it? That's what separates us from them. Do you have any regrets? No, none. Not one? Never, none. Really? Nothing. Nothing. Everything in life happens how it's supposed to happen. But I don't have no regrets. People say, oh, you know, this and that's a none. None at all. So you do believe that everything happens for a reason? Yeah, to a certain degree. But I don't ever think, oh, you know, I don't think into it too deeply. Mm. Where, like, some people think, oh, yeah, you know. And I think sometimes some people, they use that as an excuse. Yeah. If you know what I mean. Mm Mm-hmm. No excuses. No excuses. <laughs> no excuses, no stone unturned. <laughs> no mercy. <laughs> no mercy, yeah. Where, what is the mindset when you have no mercy? That's the, where you get the Marvin Hagler mindset. Right. That's where the no mercy comes from. But let me ask you, right, yeah. as we're coming to the end of our podcast, one thing that I've always noticed in the lead up to your fights yeah. and after your fights is that... The switch in, you know, your mindset as yeah. uh, when it's towards your opponents, yeah. and it's always like it's all love, but it's just business. Yeah. Where does that want to hurt that person come from when you're in there? What because where is what is it inside you? I know it's the business. I know it's the sport. I know it's what you have to do. It's life and death. And at the end of the day, this is what we do with, with modern day gladiators. Then the yes. day, to be fair with you, when I get in the ring. And I batter someone from pillar to post. I don't ever feel sorry for them Never. when I'm in the ring. No, I don't. And that's just how it is because mm. that's you know he's trying to he's trying to do the same to me. Yeah. So you don't. I don't really feel sorry for anyone. No. Afterwards, I think Oof, you know I might have given him a bit of a bad beating there. Yeah. But when you're in there, it's not. It's fight or flight. Mm-hmm. And that's it. You know. I don't know. It depends how you condition yourself. You know. My mindset in there is when I get in there, I just want to absolutely batter this guy from pillar to post. Mm. And, you know, you know, if he leaves in a stretch, he leaves in a stretch. If he doesn't, he doesn't. But that's the, you know, that's the cost of winning. You've got to really want it. Mm-hmm. Have you ever, has anyone on the, like, civilians mm-hmm. saying, oh, that's Kid Gadahad's, I'm going to try and, you know... People think that they can not get really. one, get one up on Kid Galahad, or not really you know. because you know, not really because it just depends. In it, it's like I don't know. I don't. I don't drink, so you're never really gonna ever catch mm. me on an off day. You know, Have you never drank. No, I never drank, and even like the thing is, you're never really gonna catch me on an off day because yeah. I'm always on point. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. There's some fires where I've heard stories. They've been downtown and they've been battered from pillar to post by a civilian, by mm-hmm. a student who's you know doing the A levels or whatever it is. And I've and I've you know I've I've heard stories about saying fires who you would never believe. Do you know what I mean? But that's just that's them in it. Mm. Letting the guard down. They should be doing that. Yeah. Do you I feel? Could, do you feel very? Do you feel like you have to keep your guard up? Yeah, of course you do. No matter, mm. it doesn't matter. You know, if I was doing this or not, you've always got to keep your guard up because you don't want people to take advantage of you or try to. You know, I don't understand why people drink in general because why would you want to leave yourself vulnerable? Yeah, which is exactly what it does, right? It, yeah, it, which it makes it does. you vulnerable. I yeah. always think that. Oh, yeah, you want to relax, yeah, but you're vulnerable. Mm. What can't you just sit at home and relax? Yeah. Why would you need something? 
to make you vulnerable. Do you know what I mean? But I think to do that is not a lot of people can sit by themselves at home with nothing, with yeah, no distractions. But that, that's another thing people can't, but you need to. A hundred percent. Do you know, some people don't like to be by themselves, but you've got to be yeah. able to... I enjoy being more by myself. Mm. Like, four or five weeks before a fight, I don't really go nowhere. I don't see no one. It's mm. like a prison. But I enjoy being by myself. Yeah. I enjoy, And I think the problem with people now is they can't be by themselves. Yeah. It kind of like, oh, you know... Why like, do you think that is? Why do you think most people can't sit by themselves? I don't know. I don't... It's just, it's just different now, and it? It's just... Mm. It's, people have to be with other people. Like, we're really... That's my mindset. Anyway, I just think I treat like prison. When I'm four or five weeks before a fight, I go into really like in a different zone where I'm like prison. Yeah. But everyone's different. You know, some people like to have a laugh and joke. And I just think I find it mad because I just think you're going to go into a fight in a couple of weeks time. And this guy's going to try and kill you. And you're here thinking about, yeah, you want to have a laugh and dance or, you know, have a joke with someone. I just think I think it's mad. Mm. But they think I'm mad because I'll sit in the house by myself doing nothing. Yeah. Like his prison. So each to their own in it, really. Well, you're the world champion, so. Yeah. <laughs> Something is working. Uh, thank you so much. Appreciate you coming no in. Did you enjoy it? Yeah, it was good. It was good. I enjoyed it. Thank you so much for coming. No I do appreciate it. World champion. Not of... A little bit of it, the whole world. The whole world. Yep. The whole world. What an honour. Uh, Kit Galahad for the First Exchange podcast. 